Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host, Joe Milmine, and this is episode 72, an interview with Alice Ellsworth of Whistle Bear Yarns. I feel a need to laugh again with you, if that's alright. I need a drink, I need a friend. Hello and welcome into the show. As always, a warm welcome to any new listeners. I hope you will enjoy what you find here and any returning listeners. It's always fantastic to have you back with me again. I hope you've all been well since last time I spoke to you on the podcast. Things continue to be crazy with the money pit and it appears to be an in no way watertight house at the moment. So... I have been a little bit distracted from all things podcasty and nitty over the past couple of weeks, uh, mostly in terms of uh, exactly which cupboards we're going to open and which bits of wallpaper we're going to pull at, just in case we don't know what we're going to find underneath it. And we, we, we don't know what we're going to find underneath it is the problem, but I'm fairly convinced that if I pull the wrong piece of wallpaper, the entire place may well fall down. And... Um, For any of you that have a Victorian house or have owned a Victorian house before, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, this house that I live in did belong to the builder of the street. Uh, He built this house for himself and uh, came to live here, I think, afterwards. I've also heard a rumour that George Formby lived here once, but that could just be a load of <laughs> a load of rubbish. I'm sure I could find out uh, whether that is indeed the case, but um, I- I'm not sure it was. I think it's probably a little bit of folklore. And I certainly didn't find any ukuleles lying around, disappointingly. Um, so I'm fairly confident the actual bricks and mortar will not suddenly fall apart, um, but there's certainly some sort of uh, leak issues, not helped by the fact that it has rained non-stop for the last three weeks. Now I'm from the north, you all know this, and so I must know that it it rains here. I lived here for 21 years before I moved away to the east coast and then Africa and uh, Scotland. I know it rains here. I quite like the rain. So sick of the rain. Non-stop. Not surprised the house is leaking because Nothing has been dry for weeks. It's like a monsoon. It's just no fun. And uh, I'm definitely not not as northern as I used to be. Let's just put it like that. So I'm looking forward to some drier weather soon, hopefully. And obviously we do have to discuss the weather at great length, being British and all. So for those of uh, you listening in the US and Canada celebrating Thanksgiving soon, coming up this weekend, have a lovely time. And uh, for everyone else, I think it's a great excuse to uh, just eat some some nice food and be merry, as well as being thankful for everything that you've got, of course. So what have I got coming up for you today? Well, I have a little bit of news uh, quickly before we crack into the interview, which has been much promised and anticipated, I know, from a great number of you, judging by the messages that I have received. And it is an interview with Alice Ellsworth. Now, you will have heard Alice talking about mohair in our question and answer session, which was in episode 69 from memory. Could be lying. Um, 
but uh, she was really interested in loads of really great information about mohair and it's brilliant to see so many of you on Instagram tagging me and telling me you've tried it and digging out old balls that would otherwise just have been sort of uh, condemned to the the pile of well stuff that goes wherever mohair goes to die really and um, I think that's that's a really great thing so whenever I see any decent patterns I'll, I'll pop them up on the uh, Facebook page and um, you can all come and have a look at that and uh, hopefully you'll all have been uh, inspired to try a little bit of it so she will be here talking about her farm she's a brilliant uh, interviewee I really enjoyed chatting to her I've had some really good interviews recently and um, before that we'll have a little bit of quick news so get yourself a hot chocolate sit somewhere warm and dry or, or just dry in fact and we will crack on with the show so in nitty news the bead along continues at pace and it's great to see lots of you knitting with beads and joining in with our little knit along. Now I have realised when I was trying to find all the pictures that someone else is using the hashtag bead along, uh, which is making it kind of, they're a beader, funny old thing. <laughs> and it's making it kind of hard to uh, to track your project. So maybe we must change the uh, hashtag to hashtag shiny bead along instead. Uh, but a few people have already, already finished uh, projects at Sling K. Kay, she's offshore and she's finished a project, she finished a kunya. It's her third one, I think, it's a beautiful pink one, looks very nice. And lots of other people are getting involved and trying things. Some are knitting the project suggested and lots of people are knitting other projects, which is also brilliant. Plenty of time to join in if you would still like to. The details are over on the Ravelry group and I will put a link in the show notes for you to join in if you like. I have been struggling with mine. Um, I'm doing Boonits Be With You and there are increases on both sides and um, the different increases on each side of the shawl and I have absolutely no brain power left by the time I get to knitting time to process what I actually need to do to achieve this pattern. Now let me make it clear the pattern is not difficult. The pattern is very well written. It's incredibly clear what I need to be doing uh, but I'm pretty much dribbling by half past seven at night at these these days uh, with everything that's sort of going on round and about uh, at, at Casa Shiny. Um, so I am going to I think rest that project for now and uh, wind up some other stuff and probably just do a kunya as well because that's really simple knitting and most of the work you just knit in the same two rows until you get to the edge in so I think that's what I'm going to do because otherwise I'm going to be crying into my um, silk camel mix I really am I don't want to trash the yarn just because I'm a bit sort of all over the show so I think I'm going to change to some Beedale by Eden Cottage Yarns I've got a lovely grey skein in the colourway ash that Victoria kindly gifted to me and uh, I've got some clear beads in stash as well and I've got Cunha obviously so it'd be a stash neutral project it'd be stashing down in fact and therefore almost angelic as Hecky Thump uh, rightly pointed out in the group so I think I'm going to change to that uh, just because the whole point is to do something achievable and easy and not 
kind of overtax yourself or make it too painful so that's what I'm going to do and come back I think to uh, be with you in a couple of weeks when uh, everything calms down a little bit but as I say plenty of time to join in head on over to the group on Ravelry I will put a link in the show notes and we'll all bead along together also and I absolutely loved this this really pleased me uh, lovely Fee, who is Feltaria on Ravelry, uh, popped up into the Shiny Bees group and asked if anyone fancied making some Advent socks with her. Now, she saw the Opal Advent calendar, uh, which I understand was reasonably expensive, and wanted that but couldn't justify the cost, but thought maybe I can make something else instead, maybe I can do something similar, but with uh, stuff from stash like mini skeins or leftovers or whatever else which I think is just fantastic so she has suggested doing a little um advent knit along and every day you'll get a little bit of yarn and knit that yarn into your franken socks for those who don't know what franken socks are they're basically socks that are knitted with all different leftovers and it's a bit like Frankenstein's monster you put all the little bits together and sew it all together type thing and you end up with something new and better and um, that's exactly uh, what Franken socks kind of are really in a nutshell I'm in a nutshell and um, I think it's brilliant I think it's really great that um, Fee just came along to a group and suggested it and everyone is welcome to do that frankly I love a bit of enabling you know I don't need any excuses to enable you and frankly if you've got some enabling up your sleeve share it with the group that's what we're all about and um, also my uh, mantra in life hashtag sod hexipuffs um, completely flies in the face of these franken socks there'll be no hexipuffs here no 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 we're gonna have socks these are useful these are warm you're not gonna need 15 milli of them to million of them to make a blanket so that is running on the group on Ravelry and there are a few people already uh, joining in with that so please do if you fancy that instead pop over there and join in or spread the word to someone else who might. So thank you to Fee uh, for suggesting that. She is absolutely lovely. Bless her. Um, we'd never met in real life and I saw uh, her wearing a golden skin badge at uh, Unwind Brighton. No, no, she wasn't wearing the badge. I'm telling you the wrong tale here. She was wearing a Ravelry badge at Unwind Brighton. And I saw her walking down the street to the side of the Corn Exchange. And she's got beautiful, beautiful red hair. And um, I just ran over to her and just jumped in front of her in the street. And her face, she was just like, who is this? What's going on? And just gave her a, a Golden's Game badge. And then just manically laughed, cuddled her and ran off. And uh, we've been firm friends ever since. <laughs> that is the kind of stuff you can expect from me, to be honest. I get very overexcited. Uh, but she's absolutely lovely. And she's leading the charge with the Franken socks. So pop on over there to check that out. And I will put a link in the show notes for that as well. And finally, uh, the survey, the listener survey is uh, still ongoing. I will leave it open. Um pretty much till the end of the year. However, I would like to send these prizes out before it gets really crazy with Christmas post. So on the 30th, I will draw uh, winners for the prizes, um, the incentive for taking part in the survey. Thank you if you have filled it in. I've got loads of great ideas now and some good direction in terms of where you want the podcast to go and what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy so much. And that is really helpful to me. So if you were thinking about it and you want to go and take part, please do pop over the uh, quick, quick, because otherwise um, 
the prizes will be gone, but it will still be open if you forget, but you won't be winning the prize. So head on over there and uh, it's a Google form. I'll put a link in the show notes for you and you can fill that in as well. So that is the notices for now. And we shall, without further ado, welcome in the lovely Alice Ellsworth to the podcast for her interview. Alice is uh, a farmer, a hand dyer, and uh, the genius behind Whistle Bear Yarns. She is, as I've said, absolutely lovely. She lives in rural Northumberland on a farm with her husband and her four boys. And she keeps a flock of Angora goats and some Wensleydale sheep, which belong to her boys. And it was a fascinating interview. She's very, very good fun, as you've already heard before, and uh, really sort of opened your eyes to the realities of life on a farm and uh, all things mohair, basically. So I am thrilled to introduce Alice to the show. I'm very pleased to welcome Alice Ellsworth of Whistleberry Yarns onto the show. How are you this evening, Alice? I'm on good form. I'm very nervous. I hope it's going to be all right. It'll be fine. There's no need to be nervous. We like to go off on this show. If it all goes horribly wrong, we'll make it into a joke. Don't worry. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Probably didn't reassure you there at all. <laughs> Lovely. It'll be fine. It will be fine, I'm sure. So um, for those people who maybe don't know you that well, Alice, can you tell us a little bit about you as a person and about how you came to be interested in Yarny Pursuits? Well, um, I am a farmer on a small scale and mum of four boys. And I live up here in North Northumberland. Um but this is a big change for me. I actually was born and grew up in the middle of Birmingham. Um, and I grew up in the city and I worked in London and all the rest of it. And I was always a fish out of water. I'm just not designed to be in the city at all. I spent all of my holidays um, down with my grandparents, and my aunts and uncles on their farms in Cornwall. And I loved it. And that's where I first met my lovely goats. One of my aunts had quite a large herd of goats, including some angoras, and she used to knit with her own yarn. And that was where I first really encountered special wool, um, because at that time it was mostly acrylic that was around in really garish colours. And uh, it was a real revelation to me to see something just so lovely. Um, But it wasn't really until years later that I really started to knit or actually really to crochet. It was when I when I started having my boys. It wasn't so much that I wanted to make things for them, although I I did that, of course. It was just the lovely, soothing properties in the evening of, of just knitting or crocheting and having a bit of peace and a bit of me time. And it it just meant so much to me when I was spending all day chasing four very small boys who each one of them had more energy than I had. (laughs) Um, And just the mayhem was, it was just such a shock. I mean, it was great, absolutely great, but it it was a real shock. And so to find crochet at that time was was huge for me. It was lovely. How old are your boys out of interest? (laughs) Uh, Well, now they're uh, seven, nine, 11 and 13 the youngest oh, wow. is about to turn eight and we're about to go up a year. 
but uh, yeah, no, they're, they're great, but they are full on. There's no getting away from it. <laughs> I just can't, I've only got two. I've only got one boy. And I just think, oh, if you knew what it was like to have two of them, it's not like when you get dogs, is it? And you get the mm. dog and it's not really a, that much more work. No. Well, my, my father reckons that with every child you have, the workload doubles. So two is twice one, but three is six times one. And so it goes on. And I have to say, I think he might be right. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a bit slow to catch on. I had four before I realised. <laughs> Oh, it's brilliant. Um, so how did you come to um, be on the farm then? Um, well, as I say, I was always trying to get out of town. It, it just wasn't me. And um, my husband is actually from a farming background in Yorkshire. And uh, when we got married, we decided, yeah, let's go for it. And um, pretty much put a pin in a map. Dom had been to university in Newcastle, so he knew Northumberland quite well. Um, and we came up here. Initially, we, we rented a place down near Annick because um, it took us a long time to find Whistlebear. Uh, there was just difficult to find property, really. Um, but when we did find it here, it was just the best thing. We, we knew it was our home and uh, where we were going to live. And we've been here... 12 years now and I have to say I think it's one of the best things we ever did moving up here oh lovely I used to live in Shillbottle oh right oh well that's not very far away at all yeah, yeah. drive down there quite often oh, Northumberland's a lovely place um so I think I accidentally asked you the next next question whilst being kind of nosy um but what was the tipping point that turned what was a hobby into a business? Because obviously you had the farm and you crocheted. Yeah, well, what happened actually is that um, for the first ooh, eight, ten years or so, I used to keep pigs um, and I used to make salami and bacon and that was what I did. Um, but then uh, we also had some cattle actually. And uh, but the boys started to get bigger and they wanted to be much more involved in the farm. And cattle and pigs are pretty big, big animals. And it can be a little bit alarming having small children around them. And uh, coinciding with that, the local abattoirs around here all closed down. Um, so suddenly I was in a position of having to drive maybe two or three pigs 120 miles um, which obviously wasn't economic but also it didn't fit in with the way we farmed here we very much uh, for a long time we were organic and um, we farmed to very high welfare standards and driving animals three to, well 120 miles at the end of their life was more stressful than, than we wanted and didn't didn't end their lives the way we wanted it to be so we, we stopped doing the pigs and the cattle and wondered what else to do. And that coincided with me really going to town with the crochet and starting to go to lovely yarn festivals like um, Yarndale and Woolfest and Edinburgh and places. And I just thought, yeah, you know, how lucky am I 
I have this opportunity to get back to the goats that I love from when I was a teenager and, and start a whole new business in yarn. And uh, so, yeah, away we went. It was a very steep learning curve, <laughs> to put it mildly. There's one, there's one thing being able to crochet a hat. It's quite another thing actually producing the yarn from, from birth right through to the finished product. But it's been amazing. Um, it's such a nice crowd of people. And everybody is so interested. And, and it's also you're, you're producing a product for people's hobbies. So it's something that they love. So everybody who I meet on the stalls or at the studio, they, they're all really excited to be there and really excited about what we're doing and the animals and everything. And it's just such a nice environment to be working in. I'm, I'm really lucky. Oh, lovely. It just sounds so nice. Well, that's very nice of you to say. It does. In winter, when you're kind of chasing goats around a field, trying to like clip their hooves or whatever, I'm sure it's a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely downsides. Um, it's it's. There's no getting away from it. It's really hard work, and and you're out there in all weathers. And um, the worse the weather, the more there is to do because the more care the animals need, obviously. And at kidding and lambing time. Well, it's brilliant, but it's absolute murder because the only other time when I have been sleep deprived on that scale was with colicky babies. <laughs> and, you know, kidding and lambing comes every year. They're not going to grow out of it. It's always <laughs> going to happen. And uh, so there's always going to be a sort of six or eight week period where I really, really can't remember my name, let alone anything else. But on the upside you're getting dozens of little white fluffy cuties and they really are lovely. So there's upsides to it as well. Yeah, because your boys um, have some of their own sheep. I got confused about this. I thought for some reason, I thought your brother had Wensadale sheep, but he doesn't, does he? It's your boys that have Wensadale sheep. That, yeah, that's right. That's, well, actually, how it happened is uh, I was getting my Angora goats and obviously there was great excitement in the household over the arrival of the Angora goats. And all the boys reckoned that they were going to have a goat each, which in theory wasn't such a bad idea, except that I could see that would be, I would look after them, feed them, do all their care, and then pour, pay the boys their fleece, which just didn't seem to be that good a deal to me. <laughs> um, so we decided actually that the thing to do was to let the boys start their own flock. And we did a lot of research and then settled on Wensleydales because they are a long wool, high luster sheep. Um, so that would blend very well with the mohair. It's got a lot of the same features as mohair. Also, they're really quite a rare breed now and they're from near where my husband grew up. So all in all, we just thought that would be nice and um, it would be better for the boys to have their own flock that they could be completely responsible for um and they are actually they they do everything for them they uh they do all of their care and they they lead them around the place and sort out the breeding programs and everything I mean, obviously when they're vaccinating and things i actually stick the needle in but not until they've got them all in a line and bring them to me sheep at a time and uh, it's great they they love it and we get this fabulous fleece at vast expense, but there you go. Can't have everything. 
I love it. You know, they could be drinking cider on a street corner or playing Call of Duty all day, but they're not. They're shepherds. No, this is true, but they, they don't have any internet, really. So their options are rather more limited than a lot of a lot of children. Oh. But yeah, no, I, I love it. I think it's great. You should write to the uh, to the government. Yeah, but we don't have internet, so my boys have had to get a flock of sheep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wonder whether that would bring me broadband any sooner. I don't know. I think it would definitely get you on um, Look North. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's brilliant. I love that. I hope my, my kids get uh, that kind of enterprising when they grow up. Uh, um, yes. Oh, brilliant. So um, this could open a number of doors, this question, but I'm going to ask it. <laughs> what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs> ah, <laughs> well, yeah. Um Days vary a lot, but uh, sort of roughly speaking, on on a school day, um, we get up about six. The first three go off with daddy at about seven. And then the little one goes just before eight. Um, So before that, it's the mayhem you'd expect. Breakfast. Where are my shoes? Where's my coat? I can't find my homework. You'll know. It's the same in every house, I think. Um, And then... uh, then suddenly it's very quiet because everybody's gone off to their respective places except me, which is lovely. Um, so then I head out to see the sheep and see the goats and make sure that everybody's where they should be and everybody's okay. Uh, and then I actually I have a couple of dairy goats as well. I've got a pair of lovely Toggenbergs. So I milk them and that's the milk for the house and we make yogurt and ice cream and all those things which is very nice and principally we have those so that if I have any um, pet kids or lambs at lambing time then I can feed them on proper fresh goat milk rather than on powdered milk the powdered milk is fine but I just think the real thing is better so uh, so so yes so I so I milk my goats and then I come in and I usually put my first pots of dye on to start dyeing the yarn Oh, and then I probably do domestic stuff, you know, dishwasher, washing machine, pretend the Hoover doesn't need using you more often than not. Um, then, what do I do then? Uh, onto the computer, emails, Facebook, int- Instagram, all that stuff. Um, more yarn, more dyeing, skeining, winding, labelling, all of that stuff. By then, Atty's probably home, my smallest boy, um, and it's time to go back out to the animals again. So we go out together and feed up and, and do whatever jobs need doing. There's always something that needs doing. They either need regrouping or they need um, their hooves doing or what, whatever whatever we need to do that day, um, I'll have a go at and my littlest boy will probably help or something. <laughs> Um, and then the older crew will come home and we're into the usual rigmarole of homework and dinner and all of that. Well, actually, before they do that, they'll go out and do their sheep because I don't I don't do any of the sheep care apart from checking that they're safe. Um, so that this time of year, they need to be fed. So they'll go out and do that and then they'll come in for their own supper. And then if I'm really lucky, I might get in an hour's crochet or knitting later in the evening um sometimes I do sometimes I don't but there you go just hope for the best (laughs) 
And uh, yeah, that's about it, really. Lovely. Um, so I bet you've got some really good stories to go with this one as well. I can imagine it's a lot of fun at your house. Um, well, so it's noisy. Yeah. <laughs> so no journey is ever a smooth one and running a business has its ups and downs. Can you think of a time when maybe things didn't quite go to plan? What happened and what did you learn as a result of it? Well, as you guessed, um, quite a lot doesn't go quite to plan around here. <laughs> we always have a plan. That's a good start. Um, but yeah, but there was one one big one for me, actually. And it was when we very first set up, um, great excitement. I sent my first shearing away to be spun. And I was really wet behind the ears. I had no idea what I was doing and I sent it off and I just expected this amazing yarn to come back and it would all be wonderful. And it didn't really work out that way. I, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't know so much about um, the whole process and um, I didn't really understand about the difference between wool and spun and worsted spun. And I didn't understand the, the, the huge differences between different fibres as well. And, and the mill I used um, didn't want to spin pure mohair. And at that time, we didn't have any Wensleydale. So they suggested mixing it with a bit of Blueface Leicester. So that seemed like a, a good thing to do, as Blueface Leicesters have a lot of history in Northumberland as well. Um, and, and they supplied that Blueface Leicester. And, and that was probably where I made my biggest mistake. Um, because they, they, they supply Blueface Leicester. But like all fibres, that would come in lots of different qualities. And the Blueface Leicester that we put in was not good. Um, and it was wool and spun as well, which doesn't make the most of mohair, really. Mm. Um, so the yarn that came back was disappointing. Um, and that was absolutely heartbreaking because it was my my first shearing from my first animals and I had got so excited about having a product to sell and all the rest of it and it took me probably two weeks to actually decide that I wasn't going to sell this yarn because it wasn't good enough and I, I wanted to sell something really special and I, I wanted people to love it and enjoy it and I, I did, just didn't think it was it. Um, so that was a huge disaster because we, we didn't have any product and we'd spent a load of money and, and we'd been working really hard for a year. And it's just like, oh, no. Um, however, with hindsight, I think not selling it was the right thing to do. And um, I use it at home and, you know, it's fine. Um, but, but the Evering Bell that we sell now is... is, is is special, is beautiful, and, it, and it, it's what we wanted to produce. So it was a steep learning curve. It made me realize that I, I needed to really understand every single step of the process and, and what all, all the different um, outside factors that could influence it. Um, as I said before, it was a very steep learning curve, and it still is, goodness me. I mean, I'm, you know, really at the beginning of it all still. But I love it. It's fascinating. It, it's, um, yeah, intimidating, but really, really interesting. So I'm enjoying it. Okay, then. So taking it from 
when things didn't go to plan to the opposite end of the scale. What has been the high point of your journey so far? Well, this one's easy to answer. Um, this year, uh, we, we've been selling yarn now. Um, well, the very first show we ever went to was Yarndale. And we've done three Yarndales. So we have been selling yarn for almost exactly two years. And um, this year, on three occasions, I've had people come to visit the farm, to come to the studio and to buy some yarn and to see the sheep and the goats and things. And they've, all of them, driven substantial distances, especially to come. And the reason they came was because they had bought some Yevering Bell at one of the shows, not the same shows, be it, be it Yarndale or Woolfest or Edinburgh or, or one of the others. And they'd come to get more because they said, their words, not mine, it was the nicest yarn we bought at the show and I just wished I had more of it. And for me, that was just huge. I was, I was so happy that we were actually producing something that people who really knew what they were doing, really knew their knitting, really loved. And that it was a bit different for, from what else they could find easily anyway. Um, because we are only a very small producer and um, it, it's hard to to produce something that that differentiates itself from bigger bigger scale producers and obviously we can't we can't compete with them so yeah I know that was a real high point for me to uh, feel like we were on the right track you must have really validated your decision not to sell that first spin Without a doubt, without a doubt, because I, I think that first bin could have done us a lot of damage. And um, but it was it was a very difficult choice. Apart from the else, it was so exciting just to have yarn that you, you want to share it. But no, I, I'm glad we we didn't. With hindsight. Oh, I love it. Definitely. Cause I, I went to I've also been to all three Yarndales and I think that, that was probably the first place I saw you guys exhibiting. Uh huh. And um and I've seen you a few places, actually. I've seen you in Edinburgh and up in Dingwall. Yes, oh, Dingwall was great. That was the f Last year was the first time we went up to Dingwall. And um, it was half term. So I'd taken two of the boys with me. And uh, you can't set up the day before. Most of the big shows, you, you set up the day before. And then, so then you just walk in on the day of the show. And that's great. But at Dingwall, there is a cattle market there the day before. So you can only set up on Saturday morning. So, so I and two of my boys had driven up there and parked in the car park. And we'd slept in a row in the back of the van in order to be there first thing in the morning to set up. And uh, it was hilarious, but it was great. And the boys were brilliant. And um, they ate an awful lot of bacon butties and, and hot chocolates and things as their reward. But we had a good day. Great show. Really you know, up north there, there's a lot of really serious knitters and they, they want serious amounts of wool. It was, it was great. It was a good day. So. Oh, lovely. Um, so, again, I'm really intrigued to see what you're going to say is the answer to this one. Um, which one thing that you know now did you wish you had known when you picked up the first ball of yarn? Ah, uh, now, which kind of first ball do you mean, actually? Do you mean my first ball of knitting and crocheting myself or, or the first ball of yarn that I produced? Either. I know, right, okay. Um, 
for me, crocheting, because that was what I did first, really. When I look back now, I used to be really focused on making something and, and, and getting it done and having the thing. Whereas now it's not about the thing at all for me. It's about the process, the, the creativity and the peace and the just the um, relaxation of doing it. And I, I wish I'd understood that earlier and, and so learned to enjoy the ride much more. Um, because I think I would have got a lot better a lot faster rather than getting up tight and getting upset and, and, and worrying about it, which is what I did initially. So, yeah, so that's what I would have liked to have known early on. And when it comes to our own yarn, as we've just said, the, the first bidding we didn't sell, etc., what I would have liked to have known was it was going to be okay. We were going to get there and we were going to make something beautiful and, and people were going to love it. So I... You know, because it was really hard. I got really upset. <laughs> um, and uh, had I known that, you know, really not very far down the road, things would be so different, then it would have been great. But there you go. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Um, right, then we'll... <laughs> Again, could be anything. Desert Island Skeins. Ah. If you're going to be marooned on a desert island and you could only take one skein or ball of yarn, what would you take and why? Well, very boringly, I would take one of my own skeins. I would mostly take one of my own skeins because it has so many links to home and so many memories and things. And if I was on my own on my desert island, I would really, really like any kind of, of link to home that I could have. Um, the skein I would take possibly doesn't exist yet, so you can't send me to my desert island just yet. We, we, we are um, in the process, we're just doing a very, very small um, sample spinning um, to produce a sock yarn. And it's going to be 70% mohair and 30% Wensleydale. And at this stage, we're not going to put any nylon in at all because... Um, mohair as you said so brilliantly last week um is the perfect sock fiber it's it's got the highest rub test of every na any natural fiber and it um is very smooth so bacteria can't get hold of it so it's not smelly which you know in a sock is a benefit so we're going to produce a sock yarn without nylon um and test it thoroughly and see how we go but it's going to have high twist in it so it should be a good robust yarn and I would take it with me to my desert island because then I could knit some socks and I could at least have warm feet because desert islands are very cold at night they may be hot and sunny in the day but at night they can be freezing so uh, so yes I would take I would take our new sock yarn and knit myself some socks and think of home oh how exciting we're a big fan of mohair instead of nylon in socks. Um, when is that going to be ready? Uh, well, it should be with me before the end of November. And I will be dyeing it up and doing a bit of testing. And hopefully there will be enough of that spinning that I will have some to sell. Um, but that won't be available to everybody else, probably about middle of December. Um, and we'll see how we go. If, 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 if the mix does, really doesn't work or doesn't perform the way I, I want, then we'll do a new sample spinning and try 
you know, we'll adjust things a bit. But I, I've, I've done quite a bit of research and I, I've messed about with some yarns and um, I'm pretty hopeful. I'm pretty hopeful that it's going to be really good. So uh, the, thing, the thing about um, sock yarn is it does have a higher twist in than other yarns. I mean, you can knit socks out of Yevering Bell, obviously, but whilst the mohair itself won't wear out, the 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 yarn will come apart because it's not sp spun to take the kind of friction that a sock takes. So uh, that's why we thought we'd have a go at one specifically for socks and see um, how it went. It sounds really good. I look forward to trying a little bit of that. Definitely. Uh, well, please do. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So um, next question then. What is your favourite or your go-to resource for yarn craft or for business that you couldn't do without? I thought about this for ages. Um, there's so many different things, but I came to the conclusion that more and more, the answer I have to give actually is Pinterest. Um, I, I've used Pinterest for a few years, mostly just personally, just putting together boards and things that I liked and, and having ideas for things. But... I'm beginning to use it more and more for work and I just think it's an amazing resource because I can create all these different boards that really show the ethos of Whistle Bear, not just our own products, but all sorts of different things that, that interest me or are in, related to our yarn or mohair or what's going on or just creative things that I like, you know, and it, and it just gives people quite a strong feel for for who we are and what we're about and also at the other scale of things I have um, a range of secret boards um, that I share with Flora um, who is the designer I use for my patterns um, she's lovely she lives in Gala Shields which isn't very far away and she's very very talented um, and we will have a discussion about a new pattern that we want to produce um, or at least I'll say I want a jersey, I want roughly this shape and sort of a few vague ideas and Flora will come back having made something amazing. Um, but in the meantime, we'll put together a secret board and we'll put up all sorts of different pins saying, oh, we like this sleeve or we like that trim or th those kind of things and, and hence um, build up a really good idea of where, where we're trying to get to with a pattern. And, it, and it's really fun. It's a, it's a very visual way of, of um, representing ideas um, that just makes it very straightforward. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big Pinterest fan. Oh, super. Does that mean that you don't have about 100 tabs open on your desktop then? Uh, oh, probably 85, but <laughs> <laughs> it might reduce it a bit. Oh, I have this theory that you're either the person who likes pinning loads of stuff on Pinterest or you have a million tabs open. Oh, right. No, no, I'm, I'm definitely a pinner in that case, if, it, if it's one or the other. It's, um, my, my desktop is really slow, apart from anything else. It drives me nuts. I uh, <laughs> prefer, prefer to be on something mobile that, uh, that is just a bit more efficient. So. Oh, honestly, you should see the state of mine. I have about a million windows open, and then it's got to the point where there's no space for documents, you know, little icons on the whole desktop, so that it just starts piling up in the corner. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's that... brilliant. I love it. That's my Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I'm just rebelling. I like Pinterest. I like to look at the the pictures and things. I think it's quite like you say. It's quite a good way of um of gathering your thoughts together. Yeah, I think so. And uh, we we're um we're about to build an extension on our house actually. Um, so my husband and I have boards. Even he he's not a huge pinner, but if we're looking for I don't know windows or staircases or something, it's amazing. You put staircase into Pinterest and there's a thousand of them in front of you and so you can just get somewhere in your head as to what kind of thing do you think you might like and uh yeah, no, i i love it i think it's brilliant super so on pinterest you are under whistle bear yep yep and where else can the listeners find you uh they can find us on facebook whistle bear again uh, Twitter, Whistlebear again, um, or if they want to, they can come here to the farm. We have a little studio here on the farm and they can see all the yarn and patterns and things and they can see some goats and some sheep um, who are usually in the paddocks just immediately surrounding it. Um, or they can see us at the shows. Um, oh, or online, of course. We have a website, whistlebear.co.uk. Um, uh, or at, at, we go to quite a lot of shows. With with having four children, I can't go to as many as perhaps I would like to because, you know, it's all priorities. But um, we we get to generally to Yarndale, Woolfest, Edinburgh. We're going to Unravel at Farnham in February, which is very exciting because we haven't been there before. So hopefully see plenty of new faces there. Um, I can't think where else offhand, but there's usually a list on the website, so people can see us there lovely and i think um sorry i'm I completely missed the question out there um <laughs> have you got any words of advice for those who are maybe thinking of getting into the industry i don't know whether they're words of advice but i'd say yeah go for it uh why not it's 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 a great industry i for me i love that it's mostly dominated by women um so and all with a shared passion it, it it's a great place to work i absolutely love it i won't say it's straightforward but i don't think any business of your own is straightforward so if you if you can get into one that is something that you love so much the better and i i think also for for myself for you joe for everybody the more small indie producers there are out there or indie crafters it just makes it a bigger pond for us all. I don't, I don't, I don't look at it as competition in any shape or form. I think the, the more of us there are, the better stuff there is out there, the more people will want to come and play. And that's good for all of us. So, yeah, go for it, I'd say. Oh, I love that because um, Rachel Coopey, who was interviewed on the podcast yesterday, uh-huh. um, said a very similar thing about the more people that are out there doing it, the more there is for everyone. There's enough success to go around and the more success people have, the more that breeds success for everyone. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. The more there is and, you know, eventually you become a whole nation that, that's known as a destination. So, I mean, I, I relatively often I get emails from people who are coming over from America and they're, they're going to be in Northumberland or they're going to Edinburgh or something and they want to go to some little indie yarn producers and they'd love to come and see me and can I suggest any other people around because they want to make a few days of it the, the more of us there are the better it is without a shadow of a doubt 
Oh, I love that. It's awesome. So, let's get excited then. What can we all look forward to next from Whistlebear? Ah, well, I've blown this already, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, sock yarn, hopefully, uh, around Christmas time. Um, I was a bit mad that we didn't do that straight up, really, because um, mohair is famous for socks. Um, but, yeah, so that's coming. And our newest spinning of Yevering Bell, it's here now. I'm dyeing it up. That's um, It's a bit more mohair than it was before. It's 80% mohair this time and 20% Wensleydale. And I can't wait for everyone to see it. It is it just glows. It is so lustrous and so bright. It's absolutely beautiful. I, I couldn't be happier with it. It's fabulous. So that's uh, that's creeping out as well over the next few weeks. Um, and I think that's enough for now. <laughs> There's always, always lots of irons in the fire, lots of ideas coming, but, you know, only only a few of them make it to fruition because really I get a bit carried away. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, well, I look forward to seeing the new spin of Yevering Bell as well. It does sound very nice. It, it's, I say it myself, it's gorgeous. I, I love it. I love it. Oh, super. Well, Alice, you've been an absolute delight to have on the show. Very, very interesting stuff. And I'm pretty sure we could stay here and carry on chatting all night. Um, but on behalf of the listeners and myself, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very, very much for inviting me. It's been great. No worries. So wasn't that a cracking interview? I think she's very good fun, Alice, and it was really cool to hear all about life on the farm and uh, life with four boys. (laughs) So uh, a big thank you to Alice for coming onto the show and uh, sharing all that with us as well as soon as the uh, the new yarn comes out i will obviously be letting you know about it hashtag enabled so i think that's all we've got time for this week i hope you've all enjoyed the show and i hope you will all have a really good week thank you very much for listening as usual and hope to see you again next week happy crafting and i'll speak to you all again soon bye to the shiny bees podcast a podcast for those who like their knitting comedy and yarn in equally large measures if you'd like to get in contact with me you can do so via the blog or i'm shiny bees on ravelry instagram twitter pinterest and facebook you can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com music for this episode is provided by a music alley and it is adam and the water boys and i need a drink i need a drink